Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, my dear summer listeners. If you're hearing this message, it means we're on our summer break for 2023. While we're taking a few weeks off, we are re-releasing some of our favorite artist episodes from this past season. If you've already listened to them all and don't need a second listen, then I thank you for your download and please enjoy the next hour of podcast free time for yourself. Maybe go outside, listen to some music, or just listen to yourself think. A very useful exercise. However, if you didn't catch them all and or you want to take another listen to some of our great artists from this past season, then please enjoy you know we'll be back with fresh episodes in August and already have a lot of great ones recorded with both artists and schools, including some more Tony winners for our Tony hungry fans out there. I don't know why I said Tony like I'm from Pittsburgh, but I just did it just to throw some summer fun in for you. Um, I love you all and I thank you for making Mapping the College Edition a part of your listening diet and I'll talk to you again soon. Enjoy! Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Edition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we've got a Wednesday Adams of a show lined up for you, because we do shows on Wednesdays, and because of the Adams family. Krista Rodriguez, who I know from teaching at the Performing Arts Project, is on the show, and she is just a ray of sunshine with her students and a blast to hang out with as a faculty. I hope you will find the same. Uh, today on the show, we talked about the power of no in your career. Uh, we talked about pilot season auditions and how they work in LA, or at least how they worked back then. We talked about her smash audition experience and some of the hidden fortuitousness of a connection. You might never know who's in the room. Uh, we talked about her resilience in fighting breast cancer and how that served as almost a rebranding experience for her. It's sort of like her grad school. Uh, we talk about playing Liza Minnelli in Halston, which she's fantastic in. If you get a chance to see, you can just, you know, Google Liza with a Z, not Liza with an S, whatever. Um, and we talk a little bit about expanding your dreams into other artistic pursuits. Uh, but before we get to that, I'm just going to keep a really short intro today because I am playing a bit hurt today. These daycare diseases are eating me alive. So let's just jump right to the episode and a pre-recorded time with Krista when I was feeling much better. Um, no, we did talk on the episode. It was right after we, we stopped recording. Um, but a huge congrats to Krista. She was telling us about some of those irons in the fire and it was her replacing um, as Cinderella in this Into the Woods. That's sort of star-studded Into the Woods that's happening on Broadway right now alongside friend of the pod, Gavin Creel. So a huge congrats to her. I just hear she's amazing in the show um, and I cannot wait to see it. Okay, let's get to this episode with Krista Rodriguez. Well, we are honored to have Krista Rodriguez on the pod today. Uh, Krista is an OSHA student at Orange County School of the Arts. Um, she also attended NYU, but did not graduate. Too much work for her to graduate. We'll talk about that for sure on the pod. Um, she's been on Broadway in shows like The Addams Family, Spring Awakening, First Date, A Chorus Line, In the Heights, Good Vibrations, also lots of other cool theater stuff she's done. She's been on your TV screens in shows like Smash, Quantico, Daybreak, and most recently in Halston as Liza Minnelli, which Elizabeth and I very much enjoyed watching. Um, she also 
started Curated, which is a design business that redesigns spaces. We'll talk about some of that. Um, Krista is also a breast cancer survivor and vocal advocate for that. And most importantly, she's going to be a groundbreaking member of the two-timer club of Charlie Murphy Podcast, as we're going to do a home and home of both this and my Survivor pod. And we may do a little Survivor stuff on the pod today. Krista, welcome. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? I am so excited. We're combining two of my true loves in theater. I know. I can't believe it. I also realized as you were talking, I only do TV shows that have one word in them. I'm the title. Well, at least those are the ones that I gave for the bio. I was yeah. like, I skipped through it. Yes. Yeah, smash one. Yeah, what yeah, can I say? Those are the big that? ones. And they are, I just really like to drive it home with one word. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, to smash it home if, if we do. Yay. There you go. Um, why don't we go back a little bit? So I'd love to kind of talk. We mentioned OSHA. You know, it's, it's a performing arts high school. Um, but talking about some of those early days, especially as you started looking at colleges or maybe even just looked at like doing this professionally. Like, do you remember if you placed yourself in, in that 16, 17-year-old self or whenever it was for you? Like, what were you looking for in a college experience? Do you know that NYU was right for you or what were you thinking about? Gosh, I, I think about this all the time, that stressful position of being that age and feeling like your whole life is dependent on this decision. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I remember it very clearly. So I, my path was that I had gone to OSHA. I'd always wanted to be on Broadway and live in New York, that ever since I was six years old and I visited New York the first time. So that was like definitely the the goal. And then my life took a strange turn when Francis Ford Coppola came to OSHA to direct a musical there. And he cast me as the lead in his um, musical, Gidget. And it, so Francis Ford Coppola's there, Dermot Mulroney's there, Sofia Coppola is there. Like all of Uh these very famous people are hanging around Orange County, putting on a musical with high school kids and um so there was all of this media frenzy that came around and from then somebody came to that and was like you know you'd be perfect on this tv show all of a sudden i had an mm-hmm. agent i had a manager i was going up to la i was trying to be the next at the time Lindsay lohan which is who everybody wanted to be <laughs> and um so my priority shifted to television and so when it was time to consider colleges i applied to ucla Um, Mm -hmm. thinking. And at the time, I think, you know, it was important to go to college, but it wasn't that kind of, you know, dire thing that it is now where kids are applying to 25 different schools or whatever. Uh So I was like, I'll get, I'll apply to UCLA and I'll apply to NYU and we'll see which one I get in. And if not, I'll go to Santa Monica City College and I'll move up to LA and I'll, Uh you know, get a, I'll take acting classes and just do the acting thing. And then, um, I ended up getting into UCLA first and think my parents, you know, I walked into the room, everything's decorated in blue and yellow. And it was like, for (laughs) sure, they took us out to dinner. Congratulations. You're going to UCLA. I was a Bruin. And then I got this letter in the mail from NYU that was like, Hey, we'd love to have you at the new student orientation. And I was like, what does this mean? And I called them and they were like, Oh, you got that, but you didn't get your letter. I would, um, can't say for sure, but like, you should probably be looking out in the mail. This is your parents hiding the acceptance letter because they exactly. saw how much NYU costs. They're like, no, no, I'm not spending that. No, no. Exactly. That's pretend never happened. Not really. They weren't hiding it and it wasn't that. But what, <laughs> But when I finally got the acceptance letter, it was like, well, well you're, you're going to stay in California. You're, you, you're uh-huh. going to go to UCLA and um, you're going to- Yeah, decorated the room. Come on. And like, what do you, and, and NYU is so expensive and- 
And, um, and then I got the next letter that was like, congratulations, your scholarship came in from NYU. Ooh, and so it kind of made this. it comparably, yeah, priced. And so I was like, well, now what, well, what do we do? And I, mm-hmm. I just, we, we went on vacation. We sat in a hotel room for days, like going over the pros and the cons. Mm-hmm. And do I even want to go to college and all of these things. And I just remember where I was, I was sitting in, um, in physics class. And uh-huh. it just hit me. And I was like, I got to go to New York. I've always wanted to go to New uh-huh. York. This, the time is now. It's not going to be later. I've got to do this now. And I, I sort of made the declaration. And this is what we're going to do. Obviously, you experience this, this moment of kind of odd success or 16, 17 or whatever this is that, that you know, at OSHA. But were you like consistently working already as an actor? Was it like, hey, I'm going to kind of go to school like while I'm working? Or were you like, did you envision going for four years and then... Uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as sort of things started picking up, you know, I even went and got my, um, my, what they called proficiency diploma, I think at the uh-huh. time, my GED essentially in high mm-hmm. school, just in case I ever had to leave, but I did end up staying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that way you could work as an adult at the time. So I was working and I was doing commercial work and I was doing, you know, some other TV stuff here and there. Um, but it wasn't, um, I didn't. It, it was much harder. I was breaking into a new field and I don't uh-huh. know that I loved it in that way that uh-huh. I loved theater. And for a minute it felt like, oh, this is where it's going to go. But when I really had to think about where my heart was, it was in theater at oh. that time, especially. And so um, that's what kind of made that decision for me. But yeah, I mean, it was, I was always sort of hedging my bets. Like I just want to be free to do whatever I need to do. So even in college, what I loved about being at NYU was that I was in the city and that I could mm-hmm. go on open calls and I could, you know, fail a bunch of times and figure out how to, how to, fig- how to do it, you know, totally. with the, with the safety of a meal plan and the dorms and all that. I wasn't like showing up to New York with 30 bucks in my pocket, which uh-huh. I admire the people that can do that. And I, I, you know, I'm sure I could have figured it out, but I'm glad I didn't have to. <laughs> totally. And it sounds like your parents were like super supportive during Very this time. Supportive. Was there any, you know, as you're doing the pros and cons, was there any pressure from them of like, Hey, I really would love an academic degree or, you know, or don't worry about going to college. It's whatever you want for your life. Like, you know, a lot of our parents will talk about like, I'm, I'm supporting the BFA path, but maybe I do want a college degree or I want to make sure there's some, it, were they anywhere yeah. in that? Or were they just like, whatever you need for your, your life? I mean, I'm both of my parents, uh, they, neither of them have college degrees. So it uh-huh. didn't feel like something that was imperative for the family lineage or anything. Uh-huh. They had gotten, gone along just fine without one. And, um, but of course they weren't vocational. Um, my right. mom had her own business and, you know, my dad, um, worked in a mortgage company. So it was like very consistent work for them. They didn't have to, you know, so th- they understood, uh, and they were very supportive of my acting. My mom used to joke around with people be like, how's Chris doing? Oh, good. Just try not to finish school. Like that was always the kind of <laughs> the joke. So it didn't bother them. I don't think they worried about it. They had a lot of faith that, that I could do it. Um, but, and they're looking at it practically of like, hey, she's working, so it's only about, you know, what's going to keep furthering that work. Exactly. It's a kind of a matter of time. It's a return on investment. What happened to me was when I was deciding whether or not to go to college myself, I ended up that year looking at all of like my favorite actors that had won Emmys and had won Oscars mm-hmm. that year and all of that. And by and large, the large majority of them had not only college education in theater, but also um, uh, mass uh, 
graduate degrees in theater mm-hmm. as well. And so I was like, you know what, if those people are committing, cause to me, cause at the time, especially in LA, you're like, you're, you're wasting your youth. You're Correct. going off to school and you're going to win. LA will encourage you. Yeah. Do not go immediately to us. Do not go anywhere. Don't pass go. Do not exactly, touch school. Exactly. Yeah. And so to see that the successful actors were still ones that took the time to do the training, mm-hmm. I thought that was a good sign. I love it. And then, so at NYU, of course, a big part of it sounds like it was NYC or, you know, LA yeah. and NYC were the two places you're looking. Were you also interested in like, you know, you picked a very academic BFA if of the BFAs. It's a, obviously a rigorous academic school. Was that interesting to you or was it like, whoops, I didn't realize I was going to have so much, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, It was interesting to me. I was always a good student. I always had, you know, straight A's and stuff. And I, I enjoyed school and I liked the idea of having other, um, other, disciplines but I think at the time it was just that the school the training itself at that school at that time was good enough that the that it was worth it because I, I also applied to Boston Conservatory I, you know I uh-huh. I went to places where academics weren't necessarily um you know a, a forefront and mm-hmm. um and it just happened to be that it was going to be a great degree of course you know didn't end so up. could be maybe <laughs> we'll see we'll hope, hope, I'm with your mom hoping you never have to finish yeah exactly <laughs> Um, well, so then tell me a little bit about, so you, you show up, you're at NYU, now you're auditioning. What made you eventually now leave and go, I'm off to go do this amazing work? Uh, well, I got, my the end of my sophomore year, I was cast in Bye Bye Birdie at Encores, which, mm-hmm. um, which offered me my equity card, which was a huge decision to make at 19 years old. Am I going to, mm-hmm. you know, go all in on only no professional problem. work? Yeah. And, you know, it just became clear to me, at least in New York, because I'd grown up in California and LA where theater, the non-equity theater was um, prevalent. Mm. It was much more prevalent in LA uh, to just not have your equity card. But mm-hmm. when I was in New York, it was becoming clear to me, you weren't going to get seen at equity calls. You were going to maybe not get seen at the big open calls unless you had that card. So I, I went all in and did that. Um, and I had to miss my last two weeks of my sophomore year in school, mm-hmm. but they were very supportive. They worked around me. They let me do my finals early, blah, blah, blah. Then that summer I auditioned for Good Vibrations, which was happening mm-hmm. at Vassar, New York Stage and Film, and was ultimately going to go to Broadway. But at the time, I didn't even really know what that meant. So I just spent mm-hmm. the summer doing the show. Came back to New York, uh, to NYU for my third year, and six weeks into that, got Ooh. Good Vibrations on Broadway. Not the six weeks. Not the full tuition paid. Exactly. Six weeks. Ooh, exactly. don't do it. Don't you do knew it that, didn't you? <laughs> Two days after, you could get it back. So I uh, went to my... My, my counselor called me and was like, hey, you know, you're going to have to pay for this whole semester. Are you sure uh-huh. you want to leave? And I was like, I'm going to be on Broadway. Broadway. Come on. Really, this is why I'm here. I'm like, I'm going to have so much money. I'll just be able to pay it back. <laughs> Cut to it's good vibrations. You know, one of the <laughs> yeah. notorious flops. And I, I sort of knew that, but I didn't really know how anything worked. So how can you know that? At that how age? can you, you know? Like, oh, you know? cool. I know this is going to be not worth it versus this worth it. I mean, and who knows about worth exactly. it? It led to this great career. And it was yeah. worth it. I, I never, I know, I don't regret that decision at all. It got my foot in the door on Broadway. It, it, it taught me a lot. Uh, I was a swing, so I learned so much. And um, and so then after that was over, I tried to go back to school, got another job. I got a tour, mm-hmm. tried to go back to school, and then got Spring Awakening. And by the third time I walked into the counselor's office, she was like, "Will you just leave already? Just leave. Just, just leave. you're done. You can Come reapply. On. You'll get back in. Maybe you want." Mm-hmm come back when you maybe want to get a minor or get a different major uh-huh. or something. So that's where we ended up. I love. And so, yeah, did you ever strongly consider maybe let's say years later, did, did, was there ever, I guess, kind of a trough in the peaks and valleys of your career where you said, 
you know what? Maybe now would be a good time. I'm not booking work anyway. You know, if the pandemic had happened, it might have been a moment for you at that point. Yeah. To be like, to be honest, okay, well, what else am I going to do? Yeah, I really actually, not even something else because that kind of came later. But I did consider going to grad school um, at uh, Yale accepts people in their grad program that don't have undergraduate degrees. I believe that that's true. It was, I think at the time. And so I seriously considered it and was going to apply because that's when I did feel like I was around 29 that I felt like, you know, there are gaps in my training that I didn't get. And I would like to go back. And now that I'm more mature and I can respect what I was learning a little bit more. Uh um, And then uh, what we'll talk about, I'm sure soon, is I ended up getting cancer, which was the same as graduate school. Uh-huh. Basically the same as graduate school. In a lot of ways, it did do kind of the same thing that I was looking to do, which is refocus me, ground me uh-huh. in a different way, help me understand life in a more global way. And um, and that's I sort of changed my career as well. Totally. Yeah. And the idea, the incentive to go to grad school for you, skill-wise, was it about, I really want to focus on acting more than the other two disciplines? Was it like, hey, I already feel pretty good as a singer and a dancer, and I'm, I'm working in that world, but maybe I want more TV and film. I want more, I don't know if it's, you want to do Shakespeare, if you want to, was there something where you go, I want to go to Yale, which, you know, it's, I guess, MFA in acting would have been what you're looking yeah. for. Is it because of that skill set wanted to be highlighted more or just, hey, I, I want to be serious this purpose? Yeah, definitely that, that I, that I wanted to highlight that more. It, um, what it more was, is that I had made my career up until that point. I, you know, I was a swing and I was an understudy. I was in the ensemble. Mm-hmm. I had done a couple lead parts, but I was starting to feel my career go in a direction that I that I felt like it was unconscious and I wanted to be more conscious and deliberate in the things that I wanted to do. And there was something about going to grad school that would not only help me learn the classics and things that I had not really immersed myself mm-hmm. in, uh, and be more focused on solely acting, but to also rebrand myself in the mm-hmm. business as a as an actor, as mm-hmm. not a musical comedy sort of sidekick, uh-huh. sort of slapstick. I wanted to be taken a little more seriously. And that's why I say that sort of the, the cancer became sort of that same rebranding was that people started to see that I could handle larger things in my life mm-hmm. and in the way that I could handle the gravitas of characters mm-hmm. uh, and started trusting me more without me having to kind of say, listen, believe me, I can do this. Um, I'm not just a chorus girl. I love it. And we'll get into a little bit more of brand and type yeah. later as well. So great. Fantastic. Um, just before we do that, though, I'd love just to chat a little bit because I think a lot of our young listeners, you know, a lot of our listeners might be 19, 21, 23, mm-hmm. listening to some of this stuff. Um, you know, they see Krista Rodriguez and go, oh my God, I want to be her and have that career and all those things. I guess I'd love maybe pre-cancer, if cancer is a big moment of that that trough of, of self-doubt and whatever, um, we'll talk about that experience. Could we talk about some of the peaks and valleys of, so you, you leave school because of work, but then I imagine it wasn't like work, work, work without any gaps. Like, were there some humbling moments of survival jobs and you going, what the hell am I doing? And and when when am I ever going to book the next show? When will I ever not be seen as an ensemble member? You know, like, can we talk a little bit about that? Because I think sometimes people gloss over that when they look at your career. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a little embarrassing to say that it was without gaps for a long time. Oh, how dare you. Oh, how dare you. All right, we'll cut that out of the episode. I know, I know, I know. So basically, I I did Good Vibrations. I, I did the tour. I came back. And then once I did Spring Awakening, I overlapped with Chorus Line, In the Heights, and Adam's Family. I wow. did all of like those. Job to job. Boyfriend to boyfriend. Job to no, job. no skips. Just no next, skips. next, next. 
it was it was double duty every time rehearsing during the day jumping into the show the next day uh, i think between in the heights and adam's family i had like a couple like a month maybe where i like uh -huh. went on vacation got my life in order and, but, and you knew you had the next thing anyway exactly, so who cares exactly. you know, that's, a, that's not a trough that doesn't and feel then bad. when i left adam's family i got my first pilot so i went to la Ugh, then then it stopped then it was okay breaks nothing um but i had enough you know surplus that i didn't end up needing to do survival jobs mm -hmm. but i've always done things within the business i taught or i've done concerts or i've done you know um things where you can get little stuff here and there um yeah. so i did mention in our bio i should have sorry that we we teach together at tpap yes. where i've seen you teach many times i've seen she has other places too but but yes yeah, yeah. so that you're also an awesome teacher thank you um and yeah so there was that sort of back-to-back this but what that back-to-back -back thing sort of did and, and especially in the beginning of your career you're sort of you're making career moves but you're just sort mm -hmm. of also making uh just moves at all mm -hmm. you know you're starting to wade in this industry and you're starting to be like and for me there were incremental i was a swing and then i in a flop then i was a swing and a hit then i was a lead in a revival but uh -huh. a pretty small lead you know i did bb and a chorus line then i was in the ensemble of, of In the Heights, but I covered all the women. So I was uh -huh. in the show, but an understudy. And it's a Then I was a lead in mm -hmm. a, you know, big show, but not the, 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 the lead. Yep. And then I was, you know, so it's it was sort of going incrementally. But I remember even around Adam's family time being like, I'm starting to feel like I'm getting, like I'm in a stream instead yep. of directing the things that I want to do. Uh -huh. And that requires making the hard decisions and saying no. And mm -hmm. you can't always say no when you're far, first starting. And so sure. it became, once you start saying no, you have to be careful. You have to be comfortable with sitting around for a while. And that's sort of what happened. And, and, and it happens more and more. I mean, I, I picked back up, I did smash, I did um, first date. Then I, then I ended up doing a couple more things, but then boom, I made a big decision. I chose to not do a big Broadway show that was going to mm -hmm. be kind of, that could potentially be huge. Because I was like, I want to be doing weirder, darker, off-Broadway mm -hmm. work. I want to be doing, you know, I want to start getting my footing as being a lead in TV and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. And I didn't work for a year. And that was mm -hmm. terrifying, you know. So there are definitely those times where that happens. But I know that they're coming because I'm choosing to do You're a choosing them. So if for you then, maybe in the shape of your career, if they're not troughs, if they're sort of plateaus where you say, okay, cool, I'm not dropping down below this or I'm not going to kick this left place. I think I trust that I'm going to be able to live at that level. Was there a moment where you felt like, I don't know if it was Adam's family, was it Smash? Was it, you know, where was, was there a moment when you go, you know what, I think I now have, have enough cachet that I can start doing that, that I can say, no, I know. I know the next job's going to come. I don't have to say yes. Like, yeah. what, was it the third Broadway show? When, when did it feel to you like, you know what? I know that there will be more calls and therefore something I watch Elizabeth do and I'm so impressed when I'm like, yeah. how can you say no to that? Like, that's a lead in a Broadway show. Oh, my God. You know, but but because it's just confidence to go. I know there's another one coming and that one's not the best one for me. And I don't think yeah, that's right. I think it comes. I think like it's always really great to be wanted and a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Always, you know. And so, well, not always. That's the that's the that's the saying. The and that's what you feel. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it, it came around. I mean, Adam's family, I actually turned down the first time, but not for Wednesday. I turned uh -huh. down the ensemble because they uh -huh. I had auditioned for Wednesday and then they they didn't choose me and they offered me the ensemble 
for a reading? And I said, no, because I was like, this is one of my, I have to start saying no. I'm now. I've done this before. I want to make the third show under studying. I'm done. And and it was funny because one of the reasons they didn't cast me in Anatomy the first time was because I hadn't led a show before. And uh-huh. so I'm like, well, then I need to lead a show. Yeah. So How I, do I lead a show if you won't let me cast me yeah, to lead no, a show if I can't ever do it? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so I had said no, but then my agents were sort of like, you know what? This is a four-day workshop. You uh-huh. know, it's not that long. It's um, Phoebe Newworth, Nathan Lane. They're in the room. You'll get to know everyone. Why don't you just go? So I decided to do it. And I think it was a great move for me. But that's, uh-huh. you know, I, I wouldn't advise one way or another. If I would have said uh-huh. no to that, they might have still come back. You know, who yep. knows? But they did say that one of the things that they um, respected about me and why I got the part later was because they saw what a team player I was and how uh-huh. invested I was in, in, in being a part of the show. So uh-huh. that's a digression a little bit. But the point, so that was the first time I had really said no. And uh-huh. then um, from that point on, it really was once I felt like, again, when I felt like I was starting to go, when I was just saying yes to things because they were coming, I uh-huh. would... Um, sort of take it back, but the big no was this big, um, uh, this big show that do I. Do you want to reveal it? Can you say it? Or is it I secret? Yes, I was supposed. To, I was going to do Mean Girls. I was uh-huh. um, cast in Mean Girls, and I have never said that publicly. <laughs> Breaking um, tea on this pot, spilling yeah, tea. Um, and um, I wanted to do it. I loved being in that room. I had done the workshop. I was, mm-hmm. you know, ready to do it. And then there just was something in me that could, that panicked. I, I yeah. really did panic. I would wake up in the middle of the night in a panic. Um, because of the lane you were going to feel like you're now I'm trapped in this yeah. thing again. And, and I've it's done a this. long, you know, uh, out of town plus a new Broadway show mm-hmm. that is a hit is going to be a year and a half of your mm-hmm. life. And at that point, you know, I'm on the older side. I was going to be 36 when I got out of Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I didn't want to still be playing a high school student at that point. This was mm-hmm. another thing where I was starting to want to, do things that were my age that felt that the stakes related to me and my age. And, and it had nothing to do with anything about the show. I just was like, I, I can't do this. And I have to say no. It's so, it's such an impressive confidence to do that. Cause I love how you say it's always the bird in the hand that feels better. It's like, I feel like it is every factor will do that to us again if we don't let yes. it like well now that i'm getting older i actually don't know how many more parts they're going to be for exactly. an later. or now there's a pandemic and so it can't possibly or or god there's only so many parts for people who look like me or yeah. whatever it is it's it sort of those yeah. voices keep creeping back in even if yeah, you have and it was like you know i worked a lot right after that i immediately got a bunch of stuff and i was like oh my god thank god i'm, mm-hmm. I'm free to do this stuff i got my first off-broadway play i was in a netflix series i did all this mm-hmm. stuff but then all of that stopped and then Mean Girls it came happened. out, yeah. you know? So now you're watching this thing that you could have had and it mm-hmm. was it was hard. It still, you know, is a thing that I go, well, there was that lane and there was this lane and I picked one of them and I have to be okay with it. So cool. All right, well, that's a great place to take a little break. We'll run a couple ads and on the back end, we're going to talk about some of these things we've mentioned we'll talk about and play a little game as well. So we're back in a flash. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. We are back with Krista Rodriguez. And I'm our podcast producer, who's sadly not here, Megan, is a huge smash head. So I have to ask about the smash experience. Um, I'd love to kind of hear, you know, we've, we've heard some fun TV and film audition stories. And I think some of this stuff is pretty unknown to the, you know, general public where they kind of know how theater audition works. But I think a lot of young actors go, I don't quite get how you book a, a TV show. So I'd love to talk about maybe the, the audition experience. And then especially like, it seems like from the outside, my guess is that your part is one that you might not have been auditioning for that whole role if you didn't know what it was and it grew a little bit and how that happens often in the ambiguity of TV and film. So tell me yeah. a little bit about the Smash experience and if there was a growth thing. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear about that. Before I get into Smash, because uh -huh. Smash was unusual, I'll go, I'll, if you want like a typical thing. So my- Give first, us typical and then give us A. Yeah, love yeah it. my first show that I got was a pilot for Fox. Um, and that was, you know, you go at that time network pilots, you would go through the pilot season, which still exists, but is a lot less now that there are streamers and the kind mm -hmm. of TV schedule is all over. So you kind of start at the end, end of January, beginning of February, you get cast sometime in March, you shoot it in April and you decide, you find out if it gets picked up in May. That's sort of the, like the, the thing. So, mm -hmm. um, I had just left Adam's family and I booked this, um, show so basically i went in for an audition in new york they liked my tape then um they flew me to california to do a test which is where you go in for the studio first and then you go in for the network and at the time and it's less and less this way now a because of pandemic and b because of technology um they you go in a room with 20 people executives mm -hmm. not like you know audience members <laughs> these are suit people and mm -hmm. you know a lot of the times you're auditioning or for me it was always comedies not always but most uh -huh. of the time this particular one was a comedy and you're told like they're not gonna laugh do not expect a laugh you and you don't go in you're not there to shoot the shit with the with the people mm -hmm. you are you walk in you do your scene and you leave and a lot of times it's in like a screening room so there's lights on you and it's dark and this is where you separate the, the, the wheat from the chaff as far as the uh -huh. theater actors, because this is where we shine. Uh -huh. And television actors a lot of times can just croak under these situations because you're having to do it live and for the camera. Mm -hmm. And you're having to like all of a sudden perform for tons of people watching you. And this is where I just shine. So, mm -hmm. um, so that was like the first time I ever tested for a pilot was earlier that pilot season. And I made it past the studio, but then... So you go into the studio and then they narrow it down from there and then you make it to the network. I did not uh -huh. and I did not end up going to the network. They had also flown me out to California. So you're flying out to California for a three minute audition and then flying back to go, you know, do your show or whatever. Yeah. So then I did that again for this one. I did get passed on the network and then I, I got the job. We shot the pilot. The pilot didn't get picked up. And then I sat in LA and didn't work for a year. And then mm -hmm. the next pilot season, I was like, I'm staying in LA. I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to make it work. I auditioned. I tested for four pilots 
So I went through that same process of uh-huh. going in for casting, going in for a studio test, going in for a network test. And one thing I'll say just for educational purposes, when you go in for a test, you negotiate your contract ahead of time. So it's you're crazy. completely like before you even go in for an audition for people, you have signed your contract uh-huh. for seven years. You have your salary worked out, mm-hmm. what your dressing room looks like, what your raises are, what your your you know your press schedule is going to look like. I mean, everything is laid out before you, and then you don't even know a right. if you're going to get the job, b if the pilot gets picked up, c if it gets canceled after a couple episodes. You have no idea, so you're banking on all of this every. And time. you have no power in negotiation, right? No they, power. they can't be. You're like they're like uh, this is what I need. And they're like, well, we don't even know if we want you. We yet. Don't like, even what, know. what do you exactly. say? Yeah. Exactly. But so then, um, so. I tested for four shows the next year thinking like one of these is going to hit mm-hmm. um, and it, it didn't. And mm-hmm. so I, and then I got a call from my co-op board. I don't live there anymore. So we can, you know, spill the tea on that call from my co-op board. Hey, we heard you're subletting your apartment. Oh, We're no. either going to like fine you, sue you, or you have to come back to sue <laughs> you. This yeah. feels aggressive. So uh, I was like, I guess I'm coming back to New York. And I I was literally like on the way to, I was like, I had booked the flight. All my bags were packed and my agents were like, they want you to test on this other show here. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm not going back, you know? Uh And then I don't get it. And I was like, okay, LA, I was leaving already. You didn't have to do this like (laughs) one more smack on the way out. So I head back, you know, with my, you know, tail between my legs and my bags, I go back to my apartment and I'm, I'm there for about two weeks and I get an audition for Smash. And I'm like, oh yeah, whatever, cool, fine, that'll be fun. And it was a series regular, it was a, it was a fractional series regular, which means uh-huh. it's seven out of 10. So they guarantee you seven out of 10 episodes. Even if there is 23 episodes, you still could only get seven of them, mm-hmm. um, but then they can add you into more of them as you go. So, um, so I went in for the audition and it was the showrunner, Josh Safran, who mm-hmm. I had never met. I came in and he was like, oh, hey. I'm like, hi. He's like, I wrote your episode of Gossip Girl, my very first television show I ever did yes. in 2007 um, was, a, was a guest star on Gossip Girl. And I was like, oh, well, thanks for writing that makeout scene with Chase Crawford. And he was like, no problem. <laughs> and he's like, I also know Joe Iconis. I, I go to Joe Iconis concerts and stuff. I've seen you and all these things. So this like little connection that I didn't know about theater and uh-huh. you know, this one TV thing. And so I auditioned for him and then didn't hear anything back. And a week and a half later, they called with the offer. I didn't wow. have to test. No I testing, no. do anything. And then I got to negotiate after the offer. So Much I did better. have a little more leverage. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was the whole process in that. And that was a really big deal to just kind of outright be offered that show. But that connection with him and uh-huh. and all of that led to that. And then your theater goodness yeah. as well. And did, Joe did... ended up being on the show as a composer. Mm-hmm. And we ended up singing Broadway Here I Come, which I was the first person to sing Broadway Here I Come mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for Joe. So it was like all circle. So cool. And yeah. did, did you know, so it sounds like maybe you did actually know early on kind of what the, the scope of your part would be. My yeah. experience watching that show, that could be completely erroneous as a whatever a viewer of it, was like, it seemed like, oh, these people are interesting. Let's go in this direction. It seemed like they were going in a bunch of different, yeah, we don't know true. where I it'll develop. Yeah, I wasn't in the third episode. Like I would kind of come and go in the beginning because it was mm-hmm. a fractional. But then I ended up, I think, becoming, after that, they, they wrote me in every one. I liked so I you. They really liked you. Yeah. Like there was like one day at a table read, they were like, are you afraid of heights? And I was like, 
I don't think so. You're like, great. Next week I get a script. It's like me flying from the ceiling doing like acrobatic silk number. Yes, 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 and I was yes. like, oh, so like, this is amazing. You're giving me this huge part. And also no one else here would have done this. <laughs> <laughs> they, they negotiated the contracts for You're no silk. the basically. eager child to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get up on a oh, silk sure, 30 sure. feet in the air. I can do it. Oh, yeah. no problem at all. Bees? Yeah. I'm good. Let's do bees. Yeah, Let's fine. do it. Um, okay, let's get to, not to bring it down too far, but I'd love to talk a little bit about the, the breast cancer experience. So that happens, yeah. is that right after Smash or right before Smash? Uh, pretty much right after Smash. I was right actually right after uh, First Date. First Date uh-huh. dovetailed from Smash, and then we closed that in January. I got a pilot that year that didn't go, and then I... Um, then got cancer in, I turned 30 in July and got cancer in September. And so like, yeah, obviously you're going through this personal experience and I, I know you talked on, there's a blog, which we can post yeah. in the show notes about all, um, some of the, you know, struggles with questions like fertility. And we obviously are still a very young woman when this happens to you and, yeah. and all that. I, I guess I would also be interested in like, as a pretty successful actor already at that point, did you feel a responsibility to be, to be a public figure about it? Or I guess what, what made you the decision to say, hey, I'm going to go through this publicly as opposed to like, hey, this is a private tragedy and I'm going to deal with it on my own and it's, you know, I'll, I'll reemerge if I'm healthy or whatever. But it seemed yeah. like you, you did it not knowing for sure what the end result would be. Absolutely. I mean, I was sort of told right at the top that I had a favorable kind. So I had the uh-huh. confidence of the people around me that, you know, this is a um, – this is a fight we fought before. This is not an unknown battle. Uh-huh. So I felt I had that going for me. Of course, it's terrifying and anything can happen and anything can still happen. But um, it was something where they were looking at me as if I was already going to be healthy, which is a huge thing that I would advocate looking for a doctor that sees you healthy mm-hmm. instead of sees you sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I I initially did keep it to myself. I, I told you know, a few people, uh, very strategically. And like I said, I was diagnosed in September and I didn't tell anybody for a long time. Even, even when I had started chemo, I didn't tell a lot of people, even though at the time, um, when I was diagnosed, it wasn't certain that I was going to have to do chemo. And I mm-hmm. immediately got a job. I worked immediately through it. Didn't tell mm-hmm. anybody because I thought, you know, if I don't have to lose my hair, if I don't have to look sick, right. then I can keep working. And I needed to because I needed health insurance. You need health insurance. In and, and are you at least worried that if you say, hey, I have cancer, people are like, oh, maybe let's not make you do silks or do mm-hmm. whatever the thing. When you're like, no, I'll still work. Right. I still want to do stuff. I didn't want to be a liability. Plus, I was doing fertility treatments at the same time. So I was directing uh-huh. a musical at, at OSHA when mm-hmm. I was diagnosed. And then I was doing fertility treatments. I was going in the coat closet and sh- giving myself shots while they were on 10-minute breaks. And then I got this movie um, in New York. And I read th- I like read the first page of the script. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Because I needed the health insurance. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I did that. And then... January rolls around and they tell me I have to do chemo and I'm like, okay, this is going to be tougher and to hide this. And then this was really pivotal. Actually, I was, I was seeing, I think it was Newsies. They had done, they'd shot Newsies for the movie in LA and I was Mm -hmm. there um, doing treatments and I hadn't told anyone and somebody came up to me and they were talking to me and they, they put their hand on my leg and rubbed my leg and looked me deep in the eye and they were like, Hey, how's your pilot season going? And I was like, uh, 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 like, I, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, uh-huh. A, I've forgotten it's pilot season. B, I, I can't, 
can't believe how important you think pilot season is with what I'm going through right uh-huh. now. And see, like, I, I can't fake yeah. that pilot season is the most important thing to me anymore. And it really dawned on me in that moment that, that like this whole thing is getting out something from your body. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't interested in hiding anything anymore. Like keeping mm-hmm. something a secret was actually going to be more detrimental to me than being open about it, whatever the risk of that might be. Mm-hmm. And so I, I told my agents, I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do chemo. I'm probably not going to work. So I want, I'm going to start this blog and I'm see what it's like to be a writer for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really came out of it. You do have this instinct to want to be an advocate for something. And yet you're so tired Ugh, and you're like working on so many things. I, I, I imagine I'm not a parent, but I imagine it's very similar to like having a kid. Like there's so much you want to do and instill and, but it's like you're just exhausted and and you hope that whatever you're doing is is taking, you know? And but so you unlike like, being a parent, you also had the public eye. Like, I mean, I guess technically chose, there's not I zero public that, eye. For sure, you know, but But I even mean just that there are young women who might look up to what you choose to do. Like yeah. that's I guess uh, the 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 awesome responsibility or whatever, if you're saying, Hey, this is what I'm doing today, you know yeah. there might be some 19-year-old who also has cancer who's obsessed with smash or obsessed with whatever you know wednesday you know and is saying yeah. i want to be just like krista and you know that that feels like i mean if well, i had a parent like that of like that's people are gonna parent how i parent i would be much more yeah more i mean I, I think like at the time what's funny though is when i was diagnosed i was like no other 30 year old woman has ever had breast cancer and huh. so when i was writing the blog it, it mostly was for me because I wanted to feel like fashion was always really important to me. And I was starting to see how these things were attacking what I believed to be my femininity. And so that was uh-huh. my way of taking control of that. And it was a way to sort of update people. Hey, this is why I don't exist for the next six months. Like uh-huh. this is what's going on. I actually didn't even think it would help people. I didn't uh-huh. know it would help people. I didn't think it would be relatable to anyone. I, I honestly felt I was the only person in the world that was going through this at the time. So the blog coming out and kind of taking off the way it did, the, the thing that I never estimated was the response coming back. Uh-huh. The amount of people that I would find was going through this and the amount of advice I was getting for them and the, the amount of help that I could be to them and they were to me, that was a complete byproduct that I was mm-hmm. not expecting. So cool. Well, what if we jump to Halston and this other cool offshoot that you've done? So now this is, you're shooting this really awesome Netflix show as Liza Minnelli, which it's awesome. If it's, I think it's available now. I'm saying Netflix, though. Is it Netflix? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, you were shooting in the middle of the pandemic. It's, it stopped shooting when the pandemic yeah, happened? Yeah, we started in February 2020 and then we mm-hmm. shut down in March as everyone else did. And then we came back in September of 2020 uh-huh. and finished through December. And is it between those two moments that you said, hey, I'm going to start doing this design thing. Yeah. I'm going to start doing this. So tell me a little bit about that. What inspired you to do that? What I mean, it seems like you're not doing enough in your life already. I My know. God. I don't know. Okay. Well, okay. Real talk. Um, the Halston was a dream and also so hard for me. Uh-huh. I made it very hard on myself. I put so much pressure on myself. I had so much anxiety around it. The people were incredible. My director was a genius. I would follow him to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. And yet I was at home twisting myself into knots, like trying to get everything perfect, knowing because, you know, again, real talk, 
Smash is like kind of beloved now, but at the time it was the uh -huh. punching bag of, of both industries, you know, uh -huh. theater and film. And I was one of the few people, you know, a couple of us were the ones that had to return back to theater and be like, uh -huh. hey, can I come back here? Or, or, we're not sitting on Will and Grace money or whatever. Yeah, you know exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not just like going to now do another movie. I'm going to mm -hmm. come back and do Broadway. And so um, to tackle Liza Minnelli when you're in the Broadway community, you know, if you're uh -huh. someone who's never going to do a theater piece again, you don't ever have to hear whether you were a good Liza Minnelli or not. <laughs> if you're going to go walk into Glass House, you're going to uh -huh. hear if you were a good Liza Minnelli or not, you know? And um, so I was so nervous. And so th that month leading up to shooting and the month of shooting, I was, I, I liken it to like, you go to the grocery store for the week, but you don't use a cart. You're just, uh -huh. hold, you're just like, holding it off. You know, you got the, <laughs> the bread in between your chin. I'm just like carrying everything I know about Liza. And then all of a sudden we stop and I just go, what do I do with all of this? Uh -huh. I had to drop it. It just had to like fall to the ground. Mm -hmm. And I never knew if the show was coming back. I never knew if I would act again, you know, we, all of that. So all of this stuff that I had built up, but one thing that I had been so inspired by was the era of which she was in and her clothing and the design of her home and Halston's clothing and his home and uh -huh. all of this stuff. And I thought I'd always been interested in design. My mom's a broker, a realtor. She owns her own um, realty company and um, she offers staging and stuff. And so I had gone through a breakup during the pandemic. And so I went home to California and the real estate market, as most of us know, was booming. And so uh -huh. people were wanting to sell their house, wanting to buy houses, wanting to fix up houses, wanting to change their rooms. And I just started kind of doing it with her and realizing, you know, I, I stay up sometimes all night long, imagining the design of a room. Huh. And I haven't remembered the last time I did that with a role at that point, uh -huh. besides stressing about it, besides uh -huh. like gripping it so hard and stressing about it. This felt like a creative outlet that I have done my whole life and never really monetized or formalized. And so I just thought, you know what, uh, I'll do it. And if Halston comes back, it would be a great time to launch a business. It's a great, you know, cross promotion. Yep. And then Halston came back. And I had much more ease with it. I had much more perspective of the priority that it took in my life knowing, and this is something that I will say to the, the younger people that are listening to this, and um, you might not get it until later. And I think you understand it. And I'm sure Elizabeth understands it. The dream expands as you get older. Mm -hmm. And the dream has to expand to become mm -hmm. a well-rounded, mentally safe person. And what I realized is like Halston is a dream, but it can also be the precursor to a different dream, mm -hmm. which also leads me back to other dreams. The dream of traveling, the dream of owning a home, out, you know, the dream of, of designing places, the dream of having a family, all mm -hmm. of those things become the dream where it used to be moved to New York and be on Broadway. Mm -hmm. That can't sustain you. And so... I had a healthier perspective of Halston when I came back, when I trusted that the work I had done was in me, when I was creatively fulfilled in other ways, and when I knew that it was going to buoy another dream, which would uh -huh. then buoy more dreams. And that was a huge thing for me. And now I design when I want to. I don't have to. Mm -hmm. I also don't, if I'm not working, it's something that I can do that feels good, but I don't have to work if I want to design, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's really been really symbiotic in a way that's been great.
It's so cool. And what a prime example of it. You hear this sometimes with actors who sort of the research that they're doing sort of dovetails mm-hmm. into like, and then they, they research doing a poker player and now they play poker. Now they, now they do this, their professional athletic thing that they research yeah. their role. Very cool to see. Like that seems like some of that research actually. Yeah. Kind of and like I, uh, Susan Egan is a big mentor of mine. She went to OSHA and she mm-hmm. has like taken me under her wings so many times. And I remember her telling me one time that the roles that you play, you have to treat them as if they're coming to your life for a reason. And mm-hmm. you have to be curious about what that reason is. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's to make you braver. Maybe it's to make you more financially stable. Maybe it's to make you, you know, unleash a more primal side. Maybe it's mm-hmm. to learn how to be more communicative. I mean, there's everything. And all of the roles I've played have come into my life when I needed them and have taught me to be who I am. Oh, that is such good advice. I love it. And now when we talk about your more primal side, yes. I do think we have to get to our survivor game. So as you'll know, as a fan and a frequent listener of the pod, we play a unique game with all of our artists. Sometimes they're wacky. Sometimes they're simple. They're all kinds of different things. This one is very cheesily named. And I hope uh, with a, a gentle nod toward your breast cancer, I'm a survivor. Um, <laughs> Of course, we've got to. Um, and so it's going to be a mix of trivia and fill in the blank and all this kind of stuff. You'll see. It's a pretty simple trivia I'm game. I'm so nervous. What I'm going to try to do to kind of keep you inspired is I'm going to Jeff Probst style um, kind of coach you as we go. So if there's any pauses, you get some Jeff Probst style coaching, which is one of my like, favorite things. Krista is nowhere near finishing her puzzle. <laughs> Don't worry. She I'm ready for that. blowing this challenge. Uh, wow. They're really behind. Yeah. Um, and be ready for the twists you'll never see coming. Um, okay, here we go. We're going to try the Survivor trivia game. Krista, for those of you who don't know this, and if you're not Survivor fans, just skip ahead five minutes in this podcast. Though, or listen to Survivor fan. What are you doing? Correct. Go life. listen to our episode of Come On and Survivors, and you will become a Survivor fan, as I did in the pandemic. But Krista, you're an old school Survivor fan, so you've been watching 20 whole years. We're going to see what you remember some of these times long, long ago. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. You want to know what you're playing for? Uh, yes, of course. Yeah, it's for pride and nothing else. Because <laughs> that's what we give out on podcasts. Okay. okay. I don't have to ask you if that's worth playing for. Yeah, was it worth playing for? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I really want, this is one thing I want. I want someone to say no one time, Dan. Yeah, worth yeah, playing yeah. for? Not yeah. really, Jeff. I want immunity. Okay, yeah. I'm going to start you off with a really easy one, just to kind of level set and see how deep down the dark path we're going to go. Okay. There are two players in Survivor history who have won the game twice. Oh. Who are those players? Tony and Sandra. Tony and Sandra. The quickness okay, of your response gives me a lot of encouragement that we're going to go deeper and you're going to do great. Okay, we'll Here see. we go. Survivor trivia. You're doing great. You got to dig deep. Mike White, runner-up on season 37, is a successful actor, writer, showrunner. He was a, that before Survivor. But after playing, went on to be the eponymous showwriter for which HBO show? White Lotus. The White Lotus, 100% correct. You're two for two. You're yeah. doing great. Mike we should have won, by the way. Should have won. Oh, we had a big debate about So Ethan and I did season 37. That was our, our off-season pod. I yeah. think Nick was a worthy winner. He agreed. He thinks Mike should have won. Was, Mike was a definitely should have won. Fantastic game he played. All right, another successful Survivor TV writer, which alum and winner is currently writing on Star Trek Lower Deck after writing for shows like The Millers and Kevin Can Wait? John Cochran, you're three for three. You're doing great. This challenge is on. Okay. Number four, build as Broadway actors on Survivor. Josh Canfield and Reed Kelly played together on Survivor 29. That was Blood versus Water. What were their their respective 
finishes. And I'm going to give you some multiple choice because that's hard. Okay. Yeah, this one's tough. So A, Reed 5th place, Josh 12th place. Uh B, Josh 10th place, Reed 7th place. C, Reed 8th place, Josh 11th place. Or D, Josh 13th place, Reed 9th place. I think it's A. It is C. Reed was eighth. Josh was 11th. That was a very tough question. That was a tough one. I do remember stick to the plan. That's how how Reed got out. (laughs) I really was rooting for them. I wanted them to win. But beautiful, weird season. Okay. For bonus points, why is it blood versus water? Oh, well, I mean, this is kind of confusing, but I guess- It's weird, right? Well, blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. But what's the water in this example? Blood is like family- yeah, and water and is relationships. Like your family people, it's like, is your teammate gonna outweigh your your family? Your family. But yeah. wouldn't it be like blood slash water versus money or something? Like, isn't that what's more important? Like, I'm like, is water money in this but situation? They make, they make a lot of choices where you have to choose your tribe or your right. or your loved That's one. True. Water is tribe, you're saying. Yeah, it's like water the, is tribe, loved one is blood. Right. That's, That's a pretty good I, explanation. I There was no right answer there, except that sounds pretty good. Okay, we're going to keep it going. What contestant has spent the most days on Survivor? Most total days on Survivor? Shoot. Um, it's not easy. This isn't easy. And I think it happened recently. And Ooh, I, and I very think, good. I think it was a girl now. No hints. I'm not giving you hints. Okay. Shoot. You got to dig deep, Krista. I know. You got to dig deep. Not Candace. It is Boston Rob. Boston, Boston Rob. Rob. Gonna, dang it. That I gave you almost a non hint by saying it was hard because actually it wasn't so hard. It was Boston yeah, Rob and then. Parvati and then Ozzy. Ozzy was just passed. Ozzy was number one for a while. Parvati was the girl I was thinking of. We love Ozzy. Ozzy was my first thought, then Boss and Rob. Okay, I had the right ideas. Dang it. Okay. I'm going to say, Krista, you're still whipping through this challenge. I'm just going to say that. Okay. Okay. How many people, and it's going to be multiple choice, have quit the show? How many people have quit the show Survivor? Is it A, 6, B, 9, C, 13, or D, 18? Quit, not airlifted, not like quit. Not, not a, quit. that means I said I'm out, I want to leave. I'm gonna say six. I'm vastling between six and nine, but I'm gonna say six. It is 13. C is 13. Whoa. Okay, the last question your chance for this is your redemption island right here, Krista. This, you got it. This, you got to put it, leave it all on the line today, right now. That's how you do it on this podcast. Let's go. Okay, here we go. It's there are three players in survivor history. To have played what is called a perfect game, meaning they never received a vote against them and won the final vote unanimously. So no one ever voted for them and they got 100% of the vote. There are three players who have done that. We're calling it a perfect game. Can you name one of them? One of the three perfect games. You, you, you. Oh, Yule. Yule. Yule did not win uh, Did not win unanimously. Yeah, no, Ozzy got some votes in that season. The three answers are JT. Cochran and Denise, who's one of my favorite players ever. Denise it. amazingly did so while appearing at every single tribal council in her season. That's a fun fact. Wow. Time. I did not know that. Okay. For bonus redemptive points to win all the points back in the game, what would your survivor audition video be? Have you ever considered auditioning and what would it be if so? Yes. In the early seasons, my friend John and I, uh, uh, we um, we went to CBS and waited in line to apply. Yes. 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 Um, didn't get in. And then he made a tape. Uh, where he like did survivor things around his house. Um, nowadays, I don't know what I would do. 
maybe I would like put to do a music video or something. I would uh-huh. like put together, like get my singing talents in there, you know, and like create a song or something. But they really look for disparate things in, in those tapes, you know, it's something that catch your eye, but also just like, Hey, I think I'm going to, you know, be good at this. So I don't know. What I'm would charming you and I'm beautiful and whatever. Yeah. I have no idea what I would do, but I have to say I was honored that like we've had a number of podcast listeners submit using our theme song. So we've like an edited theme song to our podcast, which basically it's the whatever yeah. ancient voices, but it's got like yeah. a cool re- remix to it. Who They've submitted using that as their backtrack. So maybe I will. Maybe you could. You could be the fourth. Could, I, would, I've, I have definitely come to terms with I would not be good on Survivor. No, not I wouldn't all. either. I would be good at the game. I would not I would, be good at the island. I wouldn't be good at the game. I would be too hungry <laughs> to think about the strategy. I would get cranky. Yeah. No one would like me. My social game would be crap. Like I, 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 bug I, bites. I, I, I don't think I'd look good with the shirt off. Like with the with the the I would have scratchies on my yeah, skin. Yeah, and all the bugs. Know? And the, I, mm-hmm. I can't do it. Can't I, the do diverse it. temperatures. I can't. I would do Amazing Race though. I have okay. I have tried Amazing Race. Okay, let's put this forward. Today yeah. we're putting it forward. Amazing Race producers, I know you listen to this podcast. Yeah. Let's get Krista on Amazing Race. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, we'll wrap up. We've talked about mentioning type a little bit or brand a bit. We've been doing a runner on it for the past number of episodes with different kind of artists. You know, we talked with a bunch of different people from different walks of life. And I just love to kind of hear how this consideration has like affected your career in terms of how you're selling yourself or how you're thinking about yourself, whether it's the word type, whether it's the word brand, but, but have, have you thought about how you're trying to curate or package yourself um, for the industry and, and what has that happened throughout your career? Yeah, I think the thing that I ultimately want to do, and this is something that I kind of talked about with expanding the dream is sort of be unpinnable. I, I just want to, people always ask me like the most common question I get, what do you like better theater or film? What do you like better mm-hmm. theater or TV? And I'm like, I don't like anything better. I want the role. I want whatever role. And if that role is in a black box in, you know, Duluth, or if it's a radio play, or if it's um, the role of creating the like character of a room, like all of those things are the same to me. Mm -hmm. So um, I am because of that, I like that my brand is sort of disparate. I like that I do a lot of different things and I have my, all my little thingies and a lot of different stuff. So, um, but that came from just like staying true to myself and going with the decisions that I, you know, that I liked. So, um, I, I feel like that was a, that's a, that's that move. Um, but I also, you know, was told early on, just accept who you are fully, like really get to know, like find the people in your group who you trust your, if it's your family or if it's a great friend or if it's a mentor, a teacher, whatever, and listen to them when you start to hone the things that either you're, you're really good at or that you're not yet good at or the things that are not your strongest thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And there are some things you need to push harder on. And sometimes when, you know, I'm never going to sing like Adina Menzel. So I'm just not going to try to sing like Adina Menzel and I'm going to sing like me and when what you want is my voice, I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. Like that, you're going to get me and I'll get that job. If what you want is Adina Menzel, I was never going to get that job. So let that go, you know? So that that helps in the branding is to be like, have somebody there to tell you, no, you can belt, you're just afraid. Or uh-huh. no, you can do this emotional scene. You're just blocking yourself. Uh-huh. Or, hey, you're not quite like, let's put this foot forward and, you know, put these other things in the back and know these aren't going to be the thing you need. 
Well, I love that. I guess in, in terms of what put foot you put forward, so in service of that brand of this, I'm this unpinnable artist who can do everything. I just love that you're here. Like, how, how much do you feel like you lead with yourself versus yeah. your representative? Yeah. I feel like during the pandemic, we saw a lot of like, you know, these weird Zoom interviews where like, then you had to like get all this hair and makeup on and pretend like you didn't put hair and makeup on to do it. Like, you know, there's, there's some element of falseness always when you're selling yourself and any of these yeah. sort of media hits. Um, I just love to want, know like how much of that do you feel like, are you thinking about a conscious thing or are we really meeting Krista as you actually are? I think you're mostly meeting me as I actually am. I certainly like, um, I think what happens when you teach or when you do interviews a lot, you end up sort of feeling like your life is a set of stories rather than mm -hmm. things that you've experienced. So, and this was something that I learned with the blog is that sometimes you need a little distance to have perspective to, to finish the story. Um, so I think that's the difference between interview me and regular me is that regular uh -huh. me is on the fly and might not have the perspective and might not react perfectly in every situation and might not have that like, and this was a great idea and look how it worked out. That sort of uh -huh. positive energy that you can have when you're packaging the story of how it all turned out. So I think that's maybe the smallest difference between like interview me and regular me. Yeah. I'm also terrible. A faithful narrator, even if, a, if, yeah. if you're doing some authoring, but it's still a truthful narrator of, exactly. of what your story is. And like. I think like I am terrible at social media. I don't, I post very few often. In fact, that's one of the biggest hurdles between me and branding myself at all. And mm -hmm. my new business is that I am just, I'm phobic of, of self-promotion and, and the internet. So, um, I think it's harder when people feel like they have to create a brand first before they get out there. And I didn't uh -huh. have to do that. So I'm sympathetic of needing to like brand yourself first and create that. But I would encourage that brand to stay as close to yourself as possible because you'll just never be able to keep it up. And part of going into an audition room is showing yourself because mm -hmm. they're looking for someone they want to spend six, eight, nine, ten months with, you know, mm -hmm. six years with. Same with a TV show. You might be on that show for 10 years. So the more you can show your personality and if it's a good one, then, <laughs> then the better you're going to be because you're not going to be able to withhold that brand for 10 years. It's just right. not possible. If it's a false thing. Well, you, you might not get producers of The Amazing Race coming to you, but you're going to get some social media interns who are ready to run your yeah. social media. Okay. You're going to get some DMs from this. Come I promise you that's going to happen. Um, all right, my last question to you, and then I'll let you go. And thank you for, for so much wonderful yeah. time. Um, I would just love to hear if we have some young artists out there who want to be Krista Rodriguez when they grow up, what do they need to do? What advice would you give to a young artist who's like, I just want to be just like Krista. She's amazing. Um, I would try to access, this is stuff I teach a lot at TPATH. Try to access the thing that makes you uniquely you. Uh, and again, kind of like what I said before, don't be trying to be, I know that that sounds cliche, but in practicality, you have to start like getting into your depths. Mm -hmm. You have to stop performing and start listening to what you're trying to say with this art form, whatever art form it is. And, you know, I think that it's a big deal when you make that switch between what I call the dance for grandma technique, which is just mm -hmm. like doing, you know, shuffle ball changes and being like, here's how I sing and look at how cute I am. It's mm -hmm. like the second you get rid of that, that's the stuff that I wish I would have learned earlier. And what I think Every time I tap into that, I hit a chord with people that resonate with the work that I'm doing. 
which is to tap into the story you're telling and how you are the unique person to tell that story. And I think that one of the things, you know, if I can kind of sound like I'm tuning my own horn, that I take pride in and that I, that separates me from a lot of people is my ability to act in song. And that's mm -hmm. what I teach mm -hmm. is that like, this isn't a song. If you wanted to sing a song, you could be a recording artist. Mm -hmm. This is a heightened monologue. And how are you using the tools that are already in your body and mostly in the lower half of your body? <laughs> your diaphragm, you know, the, the energy, your chakras down there, how you're getting those out is how you're going to affect change and not how you're smiling and, and falafel changing. So, um, if any of that made sense, I hope that you can take all of that and become the newer, better Krista Rodriguez. It made perfect sense. It's fantastic advice. <laughs> um, anything you need to plug? I saw there's a new pilot on the gram. You don't post much, but I did see a, a pilot coming up. The pilot happened. It is not going to go further as a series. Okay. Well, then so nobody should point. care about that pilot. We'll just... Don't anybody care about it. Um, there are maybe some things a brewing, so stay oh. tuned. I will put them on social, so stay We're tuned. We're brewing and Depending on when this comes out, it might already be brewing. Okay, uh, right. well, if it's brewed since we've talked, then we'll throw it to the show notes. If it's like, okay. oh my God, she's on this amazing thing. Um, Krista, thank you so much. It was yeah. such a pleasure getting to chat with you. Thank you. Hey now, I hope you enjoyed listening to Krista Rodriguez. I just find her to be so warm and whip smart and funny. Um, I'm going to do another short outro because as aforementioned, I am not at 100% health here right now. I've got a little bit of a fever. I'm a little loopy, so don't uh, take too seriously anything I say right now. Um, but I just did want to talk a little bit about the power of no. Um I think it's such a tricky balance, right? Krista gave a really great example of when you might use no, but I think you've heard other guests kind of really encourage the yes and attitude, right? It's so tough to know as a young artist when to draw that line for yourself. And certainly for some period of your career, the answer should generally be yes, unless it's something that's endangering your safety or, or beneath your dignity. But as you work more and more, if you feel yourself getting boxed in like Krista, you may find yourself a moment of no, right? It really comes down to that expanding dream Chris was talking about, which I think is such a great quote. Um, if the dream goes beyond a Broadway ensemble member, which might be where it is right now for a young person, at some point you might have to say no to those jobs to create the space for that amazing yes to happen. Or if the dream does maintain as mostly about consistent work, you might choose, a la the great friend of the pod, Cameron Adams, to stay consistent with your ensemble work and build a great reputation on the back of a lot of great paychecks. Um, for the college process, I think it's worth thinking a little bit about, too, for those parents who are, who are listening and the, the students who are listening who are still auditioning for colleges, you know, just check in of do you find yourself saying yes to every activity because your high school director tells you you feel like you have to and you're burning the candle at both ends? You know, if you're not sleeping, if you're not eating well and making yourself sick, I'm one to talk, the pot calling the kettle black, uh, you're definitely putting yourself at a disadvantage in this process. Um so you need to have the emotional approach of a yes and attitude when in the rooms, but also try to find the boundaries of being able to say no where that is for yourself in this process. Because if you say yes to everything, you will overwhelm yourself and, and run yourself into the ground. If you do the college process well, hopefully there will be a number of schools at the end that you get to say no thank you to. So it's a little bit of a practice to say, no, I can't do that. I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and I just can't do W. It's just not possible. Um, well, if you enjoyed this episode on a W and want to hear more, please hit that follow button. If you appreciate me playing through pain in my Jordan flu game today, throw us a five-star rating review. You can also follow me directly at Charmer7, where I feel a post coming any day on Instagram. It's really going to happen. I believe in it. If you're interested in working with MTC, 
MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college edition journey. Please check us out at mtca.nyc and follow us on our social media, which will be available in the show notes. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, don't believe Krista for a second. She would be deadly on that island. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.